Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Cooper, and welcome to the next episode in our Rethink Energy podcast series. Today, the topic is community acceptance and involvement in renewable energy projects in Europe. And to discuss this, I'm pleased to be joined by Frank Uman, Head of Large-Scale Project Management at Dutch solar developer Groenleven, and Marcus Vankel, Project Developer here at Bivar RE. You can check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Frank and Marcus. Please, you can join me. Hello, Mark. Hey, Mark. Happy to be here. So let's set a bit of context. Despite the pandemic, 2020 was a great year for renewables in Europe. We had record amounts added to the grid. And importantly, for the first time ever, renewables overtook fossil fuels in meeting Europe's electricity demands. But, and it's a pretty big but, if we're going to reach the EU's 2030 goal of cutting greenhouse emissions by 55%, we're going to need to see a doubling of the rate of expansion of renewables that we saw last year. So a lot more solar, a lot more winds all across Europe. We see strong support for renewables. Um, There was a recent EU Eurobarometer poll that showed nine out of 10 Europeans agree that the EU's policy um, in terms of securing clean and affordable energy is the right way to go. And also that we should move away from fossil fuels. Also, a Eurobarometer poll that recently showed that Europeans increasingly consider climate change as the single most serious problem facing the world. But as we all know, across Europe, we regularly see projects being held up or dropped altogether because of local opposition. The so-called NIMBY effect, it's nothing new. It's been with us for decades. But without making it overly dramatic, the stakes with renewables are very high. And basically, we're talking about the future of the planet. And if too many projects don't go ahead on time or don't go ahead at all, we're all going to pay a a high price. So Frank, if I can come to you first, and particularly with your experience in the Netherlands, what do you see as being some of the root causes of this opposition on the ground? And do you think nimbyism is even a fair way to describe it? I, th- I think NIMBY is a fair way uh, to describe it. And there are, of course, many reasons. I'd like to mention two. Uh, one is the basic NIMBY effect. If something happens uh, next to your house and you feel you're not in control, I think it's, it's a, as a social animal, it's a very human reaction to, to oppose to it as a first reaction. So I think that that's a general, um, general NIMBY effect. But secondly, and, and maybe that's exactly in line with how you introduced the topic it's it's a big thing in society climate change and many people are very much uh, in, in favor of uh, acting against it and we are happy as a company and as, as employers to to do that but for some people that sounds like an overwhelming message that it's only a push a strong push for change and the harder you push the harder the pushback can be as well. It's like in applied science, the law of action and, and reaction. I think the same happens in, in social science and social in, uh, interaction with people. The harder you push, the more you fuel opposition. And that's something we're facing as well at the moment. And you mentioned about control. The NIMBY, the not in my backyard, suggests it's just a, an issue of proximity, that it's being built close to someone. But the control bit then suggests actually it's more about having something as you see as a community being forced upon you that you have no kind of say in so do you think that that lack of control is actually more relevant than 
the proximity to, to a community of where something's built. That's uh, that's very true. You see where, where people uh, see a new plant arising nearby that can be opposition, where at the same time people are buying houses on the next plot where the plant already exists. You get where, where I'm heading at. If it's by your own choice, then the fact that there is a, a green energy plant nearby, that, that doesn't matter so much. But if it's out of control, uh, you're there, you have your house, you, you, you have your concern about your living environment, then it's more difficult to accept. So even if it's something somebody might fundamentally agree with, if it's, if it's something that they feel there's being forced upon them with no choice, that's where opposition can start. I agree to that. It's definitely a point. But I'd like to add something else. As an engineer, I looked up what NIMBY is, and uh, it described it that somebody enjoys the advantages of technology, but isn't willing to accept the disadvantages. And this is also quite a big thing, I think, because with renewables, you can see the disadvantages. There's a wind power plant and it's big and you can hear it, you can see it, you might like it or not, or a solar farm and you can see it. But the advantages of that, you can't see them. If your TV, for example, it doesn't work any different or any better uh, if you have the electricity coming from renewable energies and we're also not the ones who who will see a change in the climate change by the renewable energies we might stop it but it's quite a big thing and the power plant right next to you is something that you can grab it's this imbalance between advantages and disadvantage i think that are also relevant in many cases right so the, i mean the, the benefits are for society, for the planet, yeah. they're, they're big. But when it comes down to that individual community, they aren't seeing the benefits. They're just seeing what they perceive to be the negative impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And do we think that is that sort of common? Do you see that across Europe? Um, obviously, here, Marcus, your experience in Germany, um, Frank, I know in the Netherlands and some, some other countries, do you see the same sort of common? issues behind opposition or can that vary depending on where you are and even where you are within a specific country well i, I think it's uh it's, it's mainly the same uh, the basic um, mechanism behind it that's psychological and individuals in uh, in scotland in germany in the netherlands uh, i think act quite similarly the the context in which we act are is of course different there's different legislation uh, but there's also different uh, landscape we act in in the netherlands we are in a very crowded place eh? every square kilometer is being used by by people plants agriculture or whatever uh, whereas um, i also worked in scotland uh, where we have a huge open space much less crowded than the netherlands so that creates a different appreciation of new technology I'd agree to that. It's basically the same, the, the reason for opponents, but uh, it might differ even in Germany from federal state to federal state. For example, Baden-Württemberg, it's quite a crowded place and quite wealthy. And compared to, for example, the eastern part of Germany, that's not very crowded and not very wealth wealthy. And it differs how uh, people react to the power plants. And is this coming back to perceived benefits again, just in some localities, depending on where you are, 
there may be a perceived benefit if that's a poorer part of a country and they're perceiving economic benefits as opposed to building something in a more wealthier part where they feel there's no additional benefit. All they're getting is the kind of added visual impact or whatever of the infrastructure that's being built. Sure. People see a benefit for them if they have a solar farm and the money goes to the municipality and it's a poor municipality without uh, much industry. They see that as a bigger benefit um, compared to a wealthy municipality. And that happens to me all the time. The, the mayors, for example, in Rheinland-Pfalz tell me uh, it's a chance for us. We don't have much industry. It's a taxpayer more. And so we, we want to support uh, energy change and we want you to invest in our uh, municipality. And compared to Baden-Württemberg, it's rather a wealth, wealthier part and the mayors, are they don't need the money that much. So it's rather they try not to risk any uproar. Or... And then in terms of some of those reasons that people object, I mean, what, what are the typical reasons when we look at solar, when we look at wind? Are, are they typically the same? Obviously not between the technologies, but from same from project to project, do you hear the same objections coming up? It's more or less the same. It's always about the right location. Is this the right place for a wind farm? Is this the right place for a solar farm? Can't you do it uh, in a place that's better for for that? And it's uh, for solar farms, especially it's the competition with agriculture. And then also the change of the characteristics of the landscape. So, so deep food versus energy discussion, that that's more on, on the societal level, as people who feel to speak up for society. From an individual level, it's indeed, it's, it's more about the landscaping and visual impact. Uh, how does it affect the direct neighborhood of the uh, of the individual? And, and in, in the occasions where we can cite projects that are just not near communities, does, does that then logically mean we have less opposition and these reasons that are a high concern land use when it uh, may come to kind of solar or wind for that matter or concern about birds when it comes to wind turbines if there aren't the people there presumably the objections drop away so technically the issues could still be there if indeed we agree with them but without the people the the opposition disappears well <laughs> Uh, th theoretically, uh, maybe you're right, uh, Mark. Uh, in the Netherlands, no, no such area exists. To be clear, <laughs> it's, 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 it's too crowded. But even then, there, there, there's always people looking after the interest of ecology, after the interest of society, even when they don't live there. It is true that it's easier when there's less stakeholders, and it's not easier as they have less an opinion, but it's easier as you have a smaller group of stakeholders to manage and you can get a better understanding about their different needs and address them properly. So a, a, in different words, in a crowded environment where there is a well-organized uh, stakeholder field, it's also better than in a unorganized stakeholder field. So if you have to speak to 300 individuals, of course, it, it's more difficult than when you have two or three local parties that represent the neighbors. And Marcus, was that your view as well? Yeah, that brings us to the point how we address those uh, groups of people. And I think what is very important for us as project developers is that we that we need to uh, consider this. 
and that we need to address those kind of groups. I call them stakeholders and that we speak with them and that we consider their fears or ideas or interests and um, also that we need to consider their reasoning by balancing um, the advantages and disadvantages and that that helps a lot controlling those opinions and and in principle this this is coming back to the point we kind of started with which is from the start i assume then communicating with communities making them part of the process and trying to give that sense of ownership to ultimately what's going to be built in in, in their communities uh, exactly in the netherlands there's uh, a lot of talks going on about participation and participation on the one end you can state it's owners ownership eh? so uh, indeed participate as an owner in the project and as such have more control that we what we discussed earlier participation is also process participation if you get engaged early in the process you also get a sense of control of about what's uh, what's going on and i think that's that's a general rule or message to anyone in in this field engage early with the environment be transparent about your plans that, that helps in the proper discussion with the neighbors uh, and and with the stakeholder groups and do that also in a way that that people appreciate your coming. I just mentioned that the Netherlands is only a small country, but even in the Netherlands, working in the north or working in the south, if you have local people talking to two local people, it's even much easier. A Frisian talking to a Frisian works better than someone from the south working in, in the north of the Netherlands. And I'm only talking 200 kilometers. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> But I'm from the northern part of Germany, and I work now in the southern part of Germany for almost 10 years, especially in this field. And I, I couldn't adapt to the language yet. I can understand it, but I can't speak it. But still, people respect me because I listen to them. I value their opinion. I've had the experience that it didn't make a, a big difference where I came from, but valuing uh, people's opinion is a very big part of that and respecting their interests and, and fears. And if you're then able to adapt your plans to the needs uh, of the people and uh, adapt the frame conditions a bit, for example, by making a solar farm a bit smaller, by putting up hedges or bushes or um, uh, trees to reduce the visibility, then you get along with people. That, that's a fair, fair point. It's not just about having the conversation. It's also about listening and also acting as you state. Um, if you do not adapt to their wishes, then, then you might as well not have the conversation. This, this, this is it. So it's the two combined. It's, I guess, communications to begin with and engaging with that local community, giving them a chance to speak to somebody from the project about the project so they can understand it. Um, but then on a more practical level, things you can do then as developers and to give communities something back, something direct that they may be able to benefit from that project, whether that's additional green spaces or an opportunity to influence parts of the project, maybe where there's opportunities to reduce visual impact or even kind of some direct ownership in terms of financial participation. I mean, in terms of all of those, do you find some are more effective than others or is it typically a case of a combination of all of them or 
uh, I think the, the, the bare minimum is listening to the wishes with regard to, to the landscaping. That's something you can always do and, and simply make sense. When it comes to financial participation or sharing some money in a community fund, then we're talking money and then it's always sensitive. When working in, in Scotland, it seemed relatively easy because there, uh, in the regulations there was a fixed amount per megawatt installed that needed to be shared in a, in a community fund. That sounds easy. It is not. As a, at the moment, a large sum of money becomes available sometimes to a very small community, then the money as such create a problem. So then it's about how to, to spend it well and how to organize the process well that in the end, everybody is happy with the money. So that's, that's one aspect. So the regulation is simple, but still the execution is not. In the Netherlands, we talk a lot about local participation. In fact, there's even in the climate agreement, the aim to go to 50% local participation. Well, some people see that they, they read it as well. Uh, you are building a solar plant and I get 50% of it. It's about managing expectations. Where are we heading? What, how do we organize this? And in case people want to participate, participation is not just participating in the revenue of the plant, but if you participate early, it should be very clear that you also participate in the risk of development of a plant. We have to be very transparent in explaining that to people, what they engage in and if we do that well, we learn that, that people can make the proper decision. So sometimes the better outcome locally is not to participate, but to have a, a small fund or an improvement on the town hall or, or whatever. And that can have sometimes much more effect than people actually taking part in the project. Where in other locations where there's a strong energy cooperation, you might be able to sell a project for 100% to the locals, what we did with the floating park in, in, in Zwolle at Bomhof Plus, but that, that's not possible everywhere. So it's, it's very much local specific. How well is the community organized? What do they expect? What are their needs? So uh, as you said, Marcus, listening to their wishes and demands. Right. So the, the kind of practical steps, the things that can be done are going to change depending on where you are. But the, I guess the, the common thing then that seems to be running through is to be open, engage early and listen which sounds obvious, but that's where a lot of projects do go wrong. And it doesn't start from that basis. And opposition starts to grow from there. And from that point, you're on a losing streak. Exactly. You can lose a lot with the wrong start. If you start properly, then still it, it, it will not be easy. Yes, we started with a lot of people have different ideas and, and uh, energy in a way is politics. You have to align all those interests of people. If you have a poor start, so if you... Do not start with listening to people. It's very hard to come back on, on the track for your project. Um, and we talked about some of the environmental benefits or creation of green spaces, ecology, biodiversity. Marcus, is that something that you're actively involved in and kind of creating these additional spaces within communities? I consider this as a big part of my job, actually. Yeah, it's uh, I understand myself as balancing those advantages and disadvantages that we talked about. And in fact, when I came to Bivine in 2019, I sort of stumbled into a project and it started off with what do you call those nature protecting people who do that on a voluntary basis basis mm -hmm. they sort of stated against our project and they had a big article in in the newspaper and what i did was i got in contact with them 
And over the process of half a year, we talked from time to time and we met on the site and we talked about what's good and bad about the site. And they started understanding my point of view. I understood their point of view and they made a list what they sort of a, a bucket list for uh, this that so solar project. And, and then we sat together and agreed on some of those points on the list. So we adapted our project and at the end they were happy with that. And they even put a new article in the newspaper where they stated positively. So that's a great example, Demo. There was somewhere in the middle that both parties could meet. But if that dialogue hadn't happened and you hadn't opened the door to the start of that conversation, and then clearly there were some areas where you know, they could feed in what they fought and there were you know some adjustments that can, can be made and some practical steps that could be taken which you did and then from one end you have somebody who's opposing a scheme right the way around to the other end then and that opponent turns into somebody who's then basically supporting it yeah i think it might have turned out even better than if i had approached them even earlier and they never got the chance to be uh, an opposing party at the beginning they were they were against that uh, project and now they turn around and that was quite a big step for them that might have looked even better right so maybe there was there was a bit of pr there in being seen to challenge something being seen to have been listened to and then being seen to be okay with that now and, that, and that's the process and, and do you think is that quite common frank do you see that some of it is opposition because that's how it starts because people then want to have their say want to make their point and rather than being hard and fast opposition that's really then an opportunity to start dialogue and talk to people and engage i, I can't say this is a general thing but but it does happen certainly and again as a developer it's about understanding the interest and the need of your opponent at that moment, eh? bring them across before you can act shoulder to shoulder and you start as an opponent. It's, it starts by understanding his interests and needs. And if the interest and need is indeed, for example, to show to the members of their organization that they can fight a good fight, well, then uh, why not? Then we have that good fight, that's possible. But it's not always the case, certainly not. I feel uh, that it's an important message that in the conversation, uh, we start by accepting that almost 100% of the people are reasonable people. What, whatever kind of organization they represent uh, or they represent themselves as an individual, most people are reasonable. But that's an important starting point when you, when you enter such conversation. They just have different needs and interests, and we have to try to understand those to cross the bridge. Right, and we're back to, again, that point of being listened to. Exactly. And, and if the need is to show that uh, people can fight for uh, the ecology, then, well, then if you understand it, then that's, uh, why not? And of course, you know, there are projects that are held up for long periods and indeed projects that do not go ahead because of opposition. Where that's happening, I guess, you know, a kind of sweeping question, but do you think that's where the steps that we've just talked about have just failed? Or is that mostly because there is just a hard core of opposition that will not change its mind. Yeah, I, I think we should even address it differently. Maybe then indeed it's the wrong spot. Yeah. So in your view then, if as developers, you've done your homework properly and we, we're going to what should be ideal sites for solar farms, wind plants, 
then whatever opposition is faced, there should be a way to discuss and, and find a way through. There are indeed wrong sides. <laughs> but most of the time, you would say? Yeah, yes, of course. Of, of course, mo most of the time in, in a proper conversation, adapting to the... Uh, of, of course, you start at, a, at the location where you feel that it's a, it's a proper site. And most of the time, people are reasonable and you can come to some kind of uh, meet in the middle and you come to a project. What I just meant to say is that's not always the case. And, and sometimes by pushing harder, you only create more opposition and you better stop or you wait for a while. And there's lots and lots of research papers on this topic. Um, and it won't surprise you to hear that they tend to differ in views and conclusions, particularly depending on where they've been written and the kind of communities that they've looked at. But there are a few kind of common themes that come through. One is that typically you find that in communities, most um, people are passive. They don't engage. And what you tend to hear from are those who are motivated. And typically will be those who are motivated by reasons of not wanting something. So is, is there an element where you're most likely to hear from the opposition, but in the approaches you take to engagement, you are trying to reach and engage everyone else who otherwise may just remain passive and not get involved. You know, my kind of way of working regarding this is to find supporter groups in the municipality and to make the supporters visible. The opponents will be visible very fast and they will be loud, but you need to make uh, the supporters also visible. And as you said, the group of people that are passively support or do not support a project are not visible. And you need to make the supporters uh, in this group visible so that the whole process of finding a public opinion will come from that municipality itself. So it's not you telling the people what arguments stand for or against the project, but uh, it's much better when a supporter group does that for you. So you need to find those people and you need to give them information and motiv mo motivate them uh, to do that. And then that will help a lot. Uh, Marcus, you've um, you drawn a good example of where that consultation and engagement has helped to turn around the project or at least turn around one stakeholder involved in the project. Frank, have you got a specific example that you can think of, which is just a, a great illustration of how good engagement and consultation can work? I have an experience that started bad with the, with the wind farm uh, where there was a lot of opposition. And we were also developing another wind farm at, across the road, uh, almost uh, next door. And learning from that poor experience, we started early on, as I just mentioned, by actually ringing the doorbell and personally meeting with everyone in the wider environment of that new wind farm. That ended up with a quick procedure, no objections. So even when there's negative news from nearby, if you start with a new project and you do it well properly from the start and really personally engaging with those people, it still can work. It was almost surprising to me coming from a very negative situation and then the, the next door municipality actually less than a kilometer away the next turbine and without any objections uh, we got the permit fantastic um, and just kind of summing up if we take a look at what developers politicians and technology looking at those what what can what more can developers do 
when it comes to taking communities with them and, and getting this sense of involvement and, and ownership. Are we doing everything we can or is there more to be done? I don't think that we don't need to do much more, but we need to do the things that we mentioned properly. Frank? I think you're right. We do what we think and we see that's needed at this moment. What we should be very much aware of is that the needs also change over time. In the Netherlands, um, there is a strong sense of local cooperation, local participation, and that, that's grown over the last few years. Ten years ago, no one was talking about that with regard to, uh, to green energy. And at the moment, it's like every project uh, must have a form of local ownership. So we have to adapt to those needs. Uh, and, and in fact, that's what we mentioned before, listen to the needs of the individual and the municipality. And if we look at politics and policy, I mean, it's, it's not uncommon, can be very common to see decisions locally that conflicts with policy nationally. And whilst there are national policies there to hit emission reduction targets and increase the amount of renewable energy, you see decisions on the ground that reject schemes that would seem to be in direct conflict with those national policies. Is there more that can be done politically to help support and Again, in, in the same process of, of consultation and ownership, that um, politically there could be more proactivity in helping communities to feel these schemes are, are benefiting them. I, I can speak for Germany. And what I'm totally missing here for now over a decade is a positive story about energy change. It's always this saying, we have to do this because of climate change. The whole discussion, discussion in politics is dominated by this negative argumentation. And there's no one who says uh, energy change is a good thing for Germany. And there's a lot to win for us because we have almost carbon-free energy production. We have new exciting job opportunities with good perspective and purpose. We have less dependency on uh, finite resources. And we also raise regional added value. And we have technology to develop very important in Germany, you know, engineers need a job, and that we can export this technology. There's no such story. And it's, it's always dominated by we have to and because of climate change and because of this and that. And it's, it's never positive. And that's what I'm totally missing. And you're also back to the much bigger, wider societal kind of issues that, again, we know when you get on the ground, they just don't resonate so much. Is that your experience as well, Frank, if we look at the Netherlands? That's certainly true. And to add to that, I think for politicians, I think most of them know that very well, that even if there's participation, process participation and, and uh, local ownership, that is not the same as full support. If a politician is seeking full support of a project, then no project will ever continue. It's not like one opponent can stop a project. That's not just for renewable energy, that's for any project where you want a road or a house to be built. There can be people against it, but that does not mean a project should not go through. Politics is about valuing that opposition compared to the societal need and benefits. Sometimes uh, it seems like a small opposition can affect a lot. And as you stated correctly, uh, Marcus, uh, it helps if you get positive groups also 
being in the news and being in, in uh, engaged in the discussion. And then, of course, there is this 80% or, or whatever a group of indifferent people that need to be informed, but often do not mind that much, not in a positive, but also not in a negative sense. And that awareness within politics, what is the amount of opposition, what's the amount of proposition, that that balance sometimes can be better. And I mentioned about technology as well. A lot of opposition comes from, as you mentioned, taking up a lot of land, or when we come to wind turbines, it could be focused around noise. Do you see as technology progresses, more efficient solar panels, quieter turbines, will some of the key opposition factors decline because of advances in technology? Or do you think that sort of opposition and those issues are just here to stay? No, that, that will most certainly help. In fact, it's one of, of, of our core strategies in the Netherlands. We call it the double function. Try to find square meters of land where you can add solar without affecting the original use of the plant. Our floating solar proposition is meant for uh, sand pits. Uh, sand is being extracted, and at the same time, we put uh, solar on top of the water. We see that there is relatively little opposition because people understand that that's a smart use of the limited space we have in the Netherlands. So this double function also trying to put solar panels on top of agriculture, of of fruit cultivation, these kind of things people clearly understand. It is simple, it's obvious, and I think that's the way forward with regard to technology. Yeah, that's a good point. With regard to technology, I have another thing that's rather a we we uh, use the story of environmental friendliness of and better future and such and in, in with this regard the whole industry must be consistent from the point where you sell the resources to using solar farms or wind power plants right next to your door it must be consistent and the whole process must be uh, environmental friendly and this is what people see when there's bad conditions for environment and people uh, where they salvage the the resources for example in China then they do not support uh, solar farms here in Germany. So that's what I'm trying to say is we need to be consistent over the whole technology. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on time, both closing remarks. Marcus, Frank, if there are just one or two key things that you would say are just fundamentally important to trying to secure that community acceptance, what would they be, Marcus? I think it starts with the self-perception of that project developer. We are the face of the energy change and we are representatives. Thus, we must act accordingly and act in a responsible way so that people perceive energy change as a positive thing. So if I, as the representative for the, the energy change in that certain municipality, are perceived positively, then people might perceive energy change as a positive thing. Right. Tell the story, take the community with you. Take full responsibility for for the whole thing. And Frank? Well, in one word, it's it's about trust. And trust, uh, as Marcus said, trust in yourself. Gain trust by early engagement, by transparent communication. Be open and honest also when you disagree. 
it's very fair sometimes to disagree but be transparent win the trust and you're most likely to work to succeed fantastic thank you both for joining us today really appreciate the time and speak to you again soon Okay, well, that's what we have time for today. Thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you to Frank and Marcus for their contribution. Please check out other podcasts and content at rethink-energy.com and join us next time for the next podcast in our Rethink series. Mm -hmm.